0: Hello and welcome to the MGMA Insider Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. Today, we're joined by Anthony Brooke, Vice President of Strategy at GetWell Network. Anthony's also the winner of the 2016 MGMA Prime Health Innovation Challenge. Anthony's here today to talk about the future of healthcare technology. Well, Anthony, thanks so much for joining the podcast today. Yes, sir. Good to be here. Yeah, you have a, a fascinating background in healthcare innovation coming from that side of it. I was just wondering, if you always had this entrepreneurial spirit, uh, where, where did
1: that exactly come from? I, I think I did, um, and I would really credit my father for that. I was a, a military brat, grew up overseas in Germany. I think I went over there when I was about six um, and stayed over there until I was about 20. I think my dad did five tours of duty in various bases there. Um, and then ultimately retired there. And we used to, uh, family activity was that he would take the Stars and Stripes uh, newspaper, go to the classified ads and pull out a property that was for sale. And then he'd have me do the business case around it of what would it take to borrow money to be able to buy this and then rent it out? And what would be your occupational rate? And what would be the return? And you know, is that a good deal or is that a bad deal? Um so I think I got a little bit of business grounding from him, uh, definitely his MBA showing through there. Uh, and then um, I just was one of those kids that when I would go back to the States to visit my grandparents, I would buy a bag of candy, and I think Jolly Ranchers or Nerds had been released in that time, and uh, it would be unavailable in Germany, so I'd bring it back and then open the bag and sell each one of the pieces one by one at a pretty large markup. Uh, and then eventually saved enough money to uh, I think it was after a telescope that I bought from a local planetarium that I really wanted a professional-grade telescope but uh, that that was always in my blood and uh, then as I got older that became sort of my professional study where I actually when they say what do you want to do when you grow up I said I wanted to be an inventor I said, you can't do that as a job go be an engineer So I went and studied manufacturing engineering, got certified in that, um, and ended up quickly moving into software because I could generate prototypes more quickly um, than with mechanical devices. So the creativity and the desire to produce something that helps others, I think it's just something that's always been a part of me and probably very much strong part of how I identify who I am.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a great story. and. In researching your background, you did. You translated that kind of business acumen. You moved into the financial world for a number of years. You moved over Mm -hmm. to a startup incubator as well. And then I saw that in 2012, you moved over to the healthcare world. You were a, a chief product and technology officer with Seamless Medical. Just curious, from making that move from these other industries, what were the biggest challenges in moving over to the medical industry?
1: So I think the first one for me was to shift into a mindset. I had always worked with very consumer-oriented products um, or revenue-driven. So in the financial world, it's about turning a return and maximizing profit. That wasn't what I hit when I would go and pitch our first hospital system and say, great, we want you to give us a quarter million dollars, and in exchange, we will save you two million (laughs) dollars. And um, that wasn't the selling point. That generally wouldn't lead to uh, adoption right away. There were a lot more factors in. And then I think the second one was within kind of what I always call the HIPAA shield. Uh, is that we really live in a state where we have to be exceptionally security conscious, and that is the environment that we work in, given the sensitive data we have and responsibility we have with all of our patients. But I think a lot of times we hide behind that, and as a result, things like interoperability suffer. Um, and then because interoperability suffers, our ability to deliver what I call consumerism, or, or that more of that experience we expect out of all the different online brands that we interact with, um, we don't always deliver on in healthcare, and so uh, rather than fight that, uh, I had to learn how to work with the current of that and try and help inspire those uh, that we serve, to saying, look, there is a different way. We really can take a patient first point of view. Okay.
0: Now, you intersected with MGMA back in 2016. You were part of Prime Health's Innovation Challenge. What was that? What was that challenge about?
1: What did it look like? Yeah, so uh, MGMA runs a large user conference, and with that, I think they had partnered up with Prime Health, and they decided to set up a, a shark tank like um, event uh, at their user conference. And so they really wanted to use it as a way to be able to rapidly showcase multiple different innovations that were happening in the industry that would be directly usable by their uh, attendees. But at the same time, they wanted the attendees to participate and sort of see where their interest might be, Uh, taking the position MGMA often does, where they are uh, a little bit agnostic and not promoting any one thing versus another. Um, And so from that, we ended up having a panelist that they put together. Um, I don't quite remember the selection process. I do remember flying up and having to make a commercial uh, ahead of the conference. That was sort of fun a uh, uh, short flight from Santa Fe. And then um, thereafter, during the actual conference, I think there were about four or five different companies, I think all of us were CEOs, uh, that had pitched then. And we did a combination of, yes, it was a commercial pitch of what it is that you're doing. Um, but I think it was also a inspiration to say, this is how we think we are moving the industry. And so, even if you didn't select that particular vendor's product uh, uh, per se, since I think all of them were behind a product of some sort, you could select one of their competitors and still achieve that outcome. And so, we all went through and gave examples. And in our case, with Seamless Medical Systems, we provided really a patient onboarding and retention platform that started with. super flexible scheduling and load balancing uh, to where patients can be presented instantly what's available, kind of like buying movie tickets, and uh, select from that. But it wasn't just the time was available, it was matched to this is what you have for a reason for visit, so therefore we need to schedule you for a 15-minute appointment as opposed to a 45-minute appointment or a 5-minute appointment. And um, so we're fairly advanced in that area at that time. Uh, And then we went on and moved into the digital intake, where it's one of the places that, uh, we almost think of it as a Trojan horse, is it's the place where a patient gives you the most information outside of a face-to-face consult. And so they will um, fill out all the paperwork on a clipboard as much as we normally have traditionally done, except to do that all on an iPad and by connecting it directly to the patient's charts we're able to have direct bi-directional. That effect for a patient, you don't have to fill out your name over and over and over again on each new form. We already know who you are. And when I present as a 46-year-old male, you don't necessarily need to ask me whether or not I'm pregnant or uh, when my last menstrual cycle was because it's not relevant to me. That then has a benefit to the practice in that we're able to automate something they used to have to do, uh, but we also get very clean and validated data directly into the medical chart. And that gets really interesting when we've gone into our patient-reported outcomes and measures, so screeners and assessments that you take, uh, where we can take a lot of burden off the staff there. And so we have continued to prove out, we think at the time, um, used to tell you, so probably at the time of the competition, that we would say that minimum six minutes per patient. We're finding that's actually more like 10 to 14 minutes um, per patient of staff time not provider time but staff time um, and so then that's really frees up while still making patients happy uh, uh, the The practice runs more smoothly they have better data patients are happier and the providers can um, go about delivering healthcare in a more meaningful way
0: mm-hmm. and I did want to mention I said that you were part of the challenge but you actually won it. You know, you were the winner. <laughs> and, and now we're just going back to the comparison of the TV show, Shark Tank, you know, they get the, the contestants are sometimes like chum, you know, they get chewed up pretty harshly by the uh, the host there. So the panel, what was that like? Was Were they easier on you guys? Or did they give you a pretty hard time?
1: I, I, I definitely think they were easier on us than the, the commercial TV show. Uh, but I was very appreciative of that. They did ask good, insightful, sort of relevant questions uh, to sort of help the audience understand. Um, but for me, the true challenge was the other presenters. And it was that they, they all had very impactful projects. Um, um, some of them that really pull on the heartstrings. You know, we're, we're coming in mostly on an operational efficiency and patient satisfaction. Uh, and then you've got one of the other uh, presenters was presenting a solution on how they were trying to address the opiate crisis before it was in the news. Because um, you've got to think back in 2016, that wasn't as big uh, on the radar that you could just put on the evening news and hear something about opiate crisis. Um, So I actually think it was that you had a really good and strong field there.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, around that same time, uh, Seamless, who you were who you were with at that time, they were acquired Mm -hmm. by GetWell Network. Um, What's that transition been like for you? Well, the first one
1: I had to do is I had to move to Washington, D.C. from Santa Fe, New Mexico. So that was definitely a cultural change. And while I had come out of New York City and Wall Street uh, prior to it, I had definitely settled into my country life in the mountains. Um, So personally, that took quite a bit. Um, I think from a product standpoint, it was a really amazing thing to be able to expand our reach and expand our arsenal of how we could take that same philosophy of patient first and patient-centric solutions that help healthcare deliver better outcomes and a better patient experience um, as well as operational efficiency and really Go big. So I think we're now serving this year just in the ambulatory. We'll be at something like four to 4.5 million patient visits we'll handle this year. Um, we then had the ability um, this last year to acquire another company in the ambulatory space, so Health Loop, and that allows us to combine what um, Seamless did now called Get Well Practice, uh, and Health Loop uh, now called Getwell Loop. And we combine that where they really help when a patient has an issue. Normally our process is that we have a procedure or something of that nature, you get the discharge. And at most, there's a follow-up call um, because that's all that can really be afforded. Instead, we're using digital touches on a daily basis that really engage a patient, get them to take the desired outcomes. of I want you to take these actions. And then as a result, get a more positive outcome for recovery. And um, then there's natural synergies where you probably need to schedule a follow-up appointment. Uh, and that's going to have some more digital intake. And so uh, we really have been able to expand through an entire product portfolio um, of some of these core services. I think the other one that's really been different is that Taking us to a global marketplace um, so that we do have deployments in the Middle East and deployments in Europe and Australia and Canada. And so um, we were already within the United States multilingual. So, uh, from our digital impact uh, intake and schedule, we could do that in any written language you wanted. I think at the time we were probably in about seven or eight languages. We're probably up to about 12 now. Uh, actually deploy. But that was one of the other really big changes. So overall, it was having greater impact on a larger number of patients. And then I think having an arsenal of tools where now we have a, a portfolio of tools rather than where the scrappy startup.
0: Right. You're currently a VP of strategy with GetWell Network. Um, that yeah. really... Stays in line with where you've been—that entrepreneurial spirit, that innovator. Um, so, what are you involved, when, involved in with a day to, on a day-to-day basis?
1: Yeah, it's been for me personally a, a really fun shift in that. I So intensively focused on the daily operations of Getwell Practice, formerly Seamless. Um, where I was on every implementation and every customer call and uh, every development call Um, so I have been able to hand that off uh, and that was sort of fun to sort of set something you started eight years ago and then set it free Um, but at the same time I've now been able to shift to that greater focus of a portfolio as a whole and uh, I definitely still go out on Uh, probably even more customer calls because I find that listening to your customers is one of the best places to understand what the needs are. Um, But with that, again, I have that larger arsenal. And so one of the things that we are really seeing as a need within the industry and then um, being able to design solutions and work with our engineering teams to make it happen is that we're really focused on a continuum. So not just a single patient visit, um, which is very much what we were doing was scheduling a visit and uh, doing digital intake uh, for a visit. And then we would wow everyone because next time you came in, you didn't have to sign a financial policy you already signed or we remembered your information that was in that EMR. Um, we've gone much further with that, that we're now starting to think through what is the holistic the view of that patient as their uh, healthcare is first and foremost in their life. And we sort of, when they have an issue, we come to the forefront. And when that's less of an issue for them, we sort of back off again. But we don't really forget the patient. We find that's how the flow of the patient works within our organizations, And as GetWell had been a really, truly established leader in patient engagement within the inpatient environment, we're also doing quite a bit of crossover from inpatient to ambulatory setting as we push more and more care into the ambulatory setting. And um, so I've been able to really help work with some of the back end geeky side of it, of um, you know streaming data platforms that help you move the actual data around, both internally for ourselves, but also how to help our customers span all the different systems that they've built their own companies up on. Um, And very often through acquisition, particularly in the inventory, they've acquired private practices and they also have the hospital system and um, they often can be in very different technology sets. So it's been really fun to work with that. And now the most recent that we're working towards is that we're trying to move away from a reactionary standpoint of, um, we know that you have this appointment, therefore you need to fill out these forms and more shifting to anticipate the needs and therefore do something in a proactive way. Um, So if you're going to be discharged, instead of just giving you discharge notes, let's go ahead and know that you have this health insurance policy and therefore um, these are your follow-up providers that you should probably schedule an appointment with and help you do that. Um, to anticipate where there's going to be questions or concerns really bringing in not that it's just a patient but there's a whole ecosystem there there's a care circle around this patient of other people who are involved in helping them get the most out of their health care and it can be as some, something as simple as um, getting medications uh, delivered before you get discharged in hospital or uh, ride to and from an appointment um, two, uh, as I always give examples to the teams, if you want me to take a pill, you don't send me a reminder, you tell my wife. And then it magically happens. And we all have, for the most part, relationships like that where there's a somebody who's not a medical professional who is a very large influencer into how we consume and Almost take charge of our own healthcare. They really are our partners there in our support system.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, we're at a point now where technology is, you know, mentioned almost any time that healthcare is brought up as well. But healthcare is just this, you know, just massive, interrelated industry. There's so many different moving parts. It's not just uh, the old days where the the local doctor just shows up at your house for a house call, that sort of thing, and that's the transaction. And so you having come from different industries, from startups, uh, where do you see the adoption of all these? There, there are all these amazing technologies being presented to the industry, but what's the adoption like? And how do you sell that yeah. to these industries that are kind of in some ways very traditional and, and set in their own ways
1: Yes I would say that it's um, um, I probably would have condemned them if you asked me even in 2016 around set in their own ways that would definitely be the way I'd say it um, I recognize and appreciate how much there is a concern when I mentioned early on about that shield, HIPAA shield like there is definitely a fear there and I think rightfully so um, because it's difficult to create governance systems that allow you to know uh, I would like to do this machine learning great but do we have permission to use this third party company who's got this really cool technology that we're allowed to send these free text comments for a survey uh, to them Uh, that's actually a real world one that I'm working on right now where uh, we are partnering with some um, true innovators where they are able to ascertain with all the buzzy words. So we have machine learning and natural language processing, and uh, then a rules engine onto that. But one of the challenges is not making the technology work. Um, while I didn't have the advanced neural networks um, in my old career at JP Morgan, we had multiple expert systems finding insider trading um, in ninety six I think that would have been. So it's been out there. The technology has been available for some time now. it's certainly improved. It can't always be adopted because you don't always have a way to control who has privileges, who has rights, where does it go? Um, and I've just seen a real large uptick in the last three years in the both the need but also the difficulty of not so much delivering the technology but delivering the governance to who has rights and ownerships and flow of data um, and i I would say that's probably the largest challenge but also the largest inhibitor right now of the adoption of technology mm-hmm. within healthcare right and it it comes down to simple things um we did a a uh of concept for our own get well network user conference where um, how do you know a patient is ready to see uh, the doctor are they in the waiting room uh, so we use the security camera created a facial recognition of uh, a patient that we could just mark in the system the patient has physically arrived on site and it helps streamline that we could save an extra couple minutes uh, if they were running behind the patient was and that is great technology, but the biggest issue is who has rights and under what jurisdictions. In San Francisco, that would now be illegal hmm. uh, because they've recently legislated that you can't use facial recognition in that way. Um, whereas I could hire a security guard and have a list of pictures that the security guard could say, oh, this person just showed up, and they could mark a button, but I couldn't have an AI do it. Um, and that's where um, uh, I think we have things that we can get benefits out of, but we can't always access them because we aren't always allowed or haven't figured out the right kind of governance for who's allowed and who's permitted to access what they and when. Um, telemedicine is one that we've been working on that's sort of fun. That, um, uh, one of our customers has started setting up these self-standing telemedicine booths where they can drop them, sort of like mobile booths and corporate parks and malls, things like that. But they are staffing them with current staff, so we have to figure out what providers are certified to deliver a telemedicine visit, is their schedule available because they have no other appointments at their current practice where they're sitting. And uh, are they in the right legal jurisdiction? Uh, so basically, for the most part, are they in the same state where that's permissible? Because there are still states where telemedicine visit is not permissible. Um, and so just to do scheduling, we had to be able to figure out all those other things and help our customers deliver on that.
0: Right, you've given some really interesting examples of how healthcare IT and innovation has changed just in the past 3 years. Uh, I know you guys are working on things that are going to be well out into the future. So, you know, view, you know, gazing into your crystal ball, what do you see healthcare IT looking like 5
1: years from now? Yeah, I think the biggest change I've seen is when we started seamless back in 2012. Um, it was a little radical that we were uh, SaaS based, cloud based, everything is on the internet. Um, sounds fairly commonplace now, and we think of all the services we consume. But within healthcare, that was definitely a, a no no. Um, I never quite confirmed, but at least my representative at Amazon said that we were, our, our tiny startup company was the very first BAA executed with Amazon. Uh, so that's a business associate agreement that says that they're responsible for protecting health information as much as VR, as much as the provider is. And um, I remember many times having to have conversations with CIOs around not whether it was legal, but whether or not they were comfortable with did we have all the right control measures in place and things of that nature. I've seen that fully shift where it's becoming the exception for medical groups that are not willing to use the internet um, as part of delivering care and I think then the next step we will see is much like we have in other places outside of the healthcare industry Um, uh, of course we'll have to stay in Amazon and Netflix all the larger interconnected things One of the things you get is an orientation of people constantly pushing, I would like to use this new tool. It is fairly simple to do, as long as I can connect to it. So I think that's where we'll see a lot of change, is how do we set up transparency and permissioning that a patient is in charge, that a patient uh, gets to choose what gets done with data, and that systems have a little bit more. Health systems have greater flexibility on seeing that. I, I, I honestly believe maybe it's idealist in me that makes that entrepreneurial un- spirit. But it, it, when people have more information available, qualified information, I should say, um, has a bigger perspective of what can be done. Um, and I think in our area where healthcare is designed to uh, first take care of problems that currently exist. And then I think at a longer trend, as we start to uh, move away from a fee for service and truly towards a some type of value wellness compensation model, uh, we focus on the total wellness of a person. And so with that, having more tools disposable to us that we can access and actually use is great. Uh, I think that you're starting to see a little bit of that with very, very early. But you know, Apple Health Kit—it's um, nothing different than what Microsoft did many, many years ago with their Health Vault. I think they called it back then. Um, but we're now at a, a sea change where the legislation and the consuming, or the consumers, are ready for that. Um, it's one of the things I tend to like about Apple. It's not so much that they're the great innovator; they're never the first but they always nail it when the marketplace is ready for the net new thing, um, even if that thing's been around for 10 years. Uh, they they tend to have it. So I pay attention in the crystal ball to things like that. Um, I think that it'll still be in the stage and it's in the uh, Gartner technology uh, adoption model where we're now starting to go down into the valley of dissolution, but, Um, I actually personally believe that blockchain is going to play an interesting component in this transparency problem we have when you have very distributed systems Uh, because that's what we're talking about when we say all these nice internet things it's a whole bunch of unconnected entities and we're accustomed to protecting data um, at a covered entity level so those are some of those barriers I think that's what we'll see a lot Um, the other one that I truly think Uh, Not that I'm by any means at first. uh, Eric Topol's recent book on that will be uh, uh, a nicer read for it. But AI obviously has some pretty large impacts for us. It probably isn't what we think it is. Um, It's kind of like genome sequencing. Uh, It's impactful. It's amazing. But we haven't changed the way we deliver healthcare because of it. Um, I think the same thing is with... AI that it's subtle where it starts Um, it starts with right now imaging uh, where that's probably one of the most impactful places for it but then um, we are starting to employ that and some of our partners are as well where we're using it for interpreting what's the meaning of of the patient's pretext comments or and then as a result where should we route those Um, should we do a clinical or or not based on what they say Um, what is the Um, context or what is the most, if we have uh, five different problems to solve, which one's the most important right now? Uh, Should I deal with my chronic condition or my sprained ankle? Um, And then as a result, should I give you information around one or the other? Because we understand that you don't have enough bandwidth to take it all in. Um, I think those are the smaller places. And we already adopted them in the rest of our life in things like Google searches or are auto correct on things or um, the little pop up navigations that tell you you're X minutes from home because it knows since it's been tracking you on your phone. I think those are the places we're starting to see it. I think you'll see a real large, we are that. Um, so patient reported outcomes and measures has been probably one of the gross largest growth places from seamless technology uh, now into get well practice. And that is really a data play where providers are wanting patient reported information that has been normalized um, scored and then determines things and helps them understand is this the patient I need to evaluate for this problem versus that so it's not making the clinical decisions in any way but it's alerting of the entire universe let's focus over here um, And that then leads to rich data. And so some of our customers are more academic in nature, and they spend half their time seeing patients and half their time writing papers. They're using that data and doing very interesting analysis because analytics tools are so easily accessible to them today. I think that's going to make more and more insights come available. And then the last one I would say is personalization. we're all unique individuals and so right now i think that we tend to stratify our patients as we need to into large buckets uh, to try and determine is it x or is it y the promise uh, which still hasn't been quite delivered yet of ai to the medical industry is that we will be able to do smaller and smaller niches uh, and do smaller and smaller groups of patients to be more personalized or accurate to their particular needs. And whether that's on the clinical side or much more on the preferences side, um, they go almost hand-in-hand hand so that you get that human touch uh, as much as you get a, a more directed clinical touch.
0: Mm-hmm. We were having a conversation earlier this week here at MGMA. We were talking about we have an amount of data here uh, available to us that's just staggering when you think about it. And the real key as we move forward in healthcare is how do we analyze all that data? It's just it's there, and what do we do with it? Is that something yeah. that you guys at your your firm that you're thinking about? And what are the tools you can give uh, both the consumers and people, the providers, that can help them do something with
1: all the data that's there for them. Right. I think you'll see that most successful enterprises are truly identifying exactly that problem and they're coming up with strategies. So I can drill down to the engineering part of me and say, yes, you need a uh, data streaming platform. Um, But what that really means is you have a way to handle just large volumes of data. But it comes down to um, somewhat the same things. And I think this is one of the misnomers out there around uh, AI is, is that, yes, it is magic. But it only works if you have domain expertise and you set up parameters of what is it that you're looking for. That's when you make something actionable. And so for get well, that is one of our, our real thematic approaches is how do we make something actionable either for a patient, for the patient's care circle, so their non-clinical care team, or their clinical care team. And because most of our tools are not direct clinical decision support. We leave that to the EMRs uh, and other vendors that work directly to that. We tend to stay on those first two of the, uh, what can a patient take for an action? And um, for a little bit that softer side of healthcare, of where can they own their own healthcare and their own next steps, but be informed enough to do what's being directed by their medical providers, because there's always a large gap there. Um, And then for uh, kind of the operational efficiency side, we already, when we do those PROs, uh, those patient report outcomes and measures, um, they're essentially like taking school tests. You know, When I snap my fingers, does your baby turn its head? Uh, things like that. Uh, and you build up a whole series of questions for those. And lots of really brilliant doctors and uh, um, researchers building those as industry standards. We don't invent those. But we automate their delivery so that um, a patient can more easily understand them, then have it translated in whatever language they're most comfortable with. Um, the key part is is that we can send all that discrete data into your downstream systems. And so that's probably one of the rises I've seen out of um, Get Well Practice, a formerly seamless medical, is that we have more and more customers that are standing up these data warehouses where we send them a data dump every day, um, in addition to sending information to their medical record system in real time. and. So we're seeing them start to adopt, but um, I recently had to do a study of this for Catwell, and across our 400-plus clients, about 20% of them have a large, what I would call enterprise class uh, analytics group, where they're proactively trying to not just make cool observations, but actually actionable observations. And um, I see that really rapidly growing. And we really saw that grow originally with some of our national retail clinics, uh, who were from larger organizations, sort of outside of traditional healthcare, and were very consumer-centric. And one of the first things that they worked with us to do was connect. I'm gonna do some ad spend dollars uh, on these social media sites. I'm gonna use all my own ad tracking, but since you're doing the scheduling, could you ingest some of that tracking data? And then when you push it out to our data warehouse, combine it, they then combine that with the medical record system, which is, for most cases, also the uh, billing system. And so they can, what it means from a business sense is they could connect, I paid for this ad, it created a patient appointment, so a traditional conversion, and then uh, we actually had the patient show up which then we rendered these services. Here was our cost, and here was our total revenue. So, um, while we very much focus in healthcare at helping patients, we're all still businesses. Being able to see that is very efficient, as much as using population health to segment out which patients require the most resources, and so therefore ones that you probably want to focus on the most. Um, so, I think we're starting to see it seep in, but one of my other, when you've mentioned crystal balls that I always do is I really keep an eye on what I call convenient care, so uh, freestanding EDs or EDs in general, urgent cares, retail clinics, um, occupational medicine, and kind of see where those things are going, because I find they tend to be trendsetters that then you see it trickle down into our specialty care and primary care. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Final question here, and I want to return to where you began, really. You were talking about patient engagement, uh, patient-centered care, but there's also that idea here where you you, uh, brought it up a couple of times, that HIPAA shield. So it's it's clear Mm -hmm. that all this technology, it's leading to a point where we're continuing to empower the patient, but there's also that, oh, wait a minute, we've got to protect them as well and uh, so where is this going so it doesn't spin out of control where the patient loses privacy, where there are issues involved there, where are we going in this industry?
1: Absolutely Um, Again, this is why I would say I have really modified my point of view and have great respect for the burden that exists for all those IT groups that have to help protect all of that information. And it's one of the reasons that I, I softly corrected you on set in their ways uh, expression because I don't think it's that. It's that they have this enormous burden to carry of how do I keep something protected? Um, and so I, I've spoken to it a couple times, but it is um, literally that governance, That is a make or break. Now the good thing is, um, at least what we've been able to find, is that governance isn't just a fancy word. There's actually technology for it. And there's been non-healthcare needs to be able to say, when we look at all those innovations of big data and what they're finding when they're going with deep learning, they still need to say here is an object, let me track the object over time and in a lot of different places, so I can say, oh, uh, everything that is a phone is blue. Therefore, blue must be a trend in phone color. Um, To be able to do that, you have to have that notion of there is a something and let me track it over time. And let me track it across a bunch of non-normalized because uh, it's never, it's always fragmented uh, way, and that's where governance has to go. And so, there really, even open source, uh, I think, solutions that you you can pull that come out of some of the more recent and popularized deep learning, machine learning space, where there's just so many different data assets that they had to come up with ways to track. What I haven't seen is I haven't seen medical record systems go that way. And I can't say I have the crystal ball on how to solve that particular problem. I think if you watch the trends on mandated interoperability, that's where it is, but I think there's a one more shift to go, which is the patient needs to be able to see where we have it. And since we're now uh, with Getwell, a multinational Um, We've been spending a lot of time with uh, European market and our um, implications of GDPR and um, specifically one simple requirement of a right for an individual to be forgotten, which means how do you go back to every billing system, every medical record system, every email system and remove an instance of that patient? And so that's what you end up having to be able to do with GDPR. And so uh, uh, with that, I think we'll find that California is pushing the gamut a little bit there on um, some of their new legislation that's similar. Um, And so we'll, we'll end up having to innovate for that. But as an industry, this remains our challenge. And for me, the big shift is to see the transparency which will be driven by the large organizations likely for operational efficiency uh, and better outcomes is where they'll start and then what I'm hoping to see it shift to is the patient can actually find out what information do you have on me where was it used how uh, and I have preferences and my preferences are while you used to share that information with uh, my wife she's now my ex-wife and so therefore um, I would like you to stop sharing that information. <laughs> and right now, you can file papers, but you're going to file a piece of paper which is going to be photocopied and handled by someone in a manila envelope. There isn't a nice programmatic way. Um, and a lot of that's because there's not a standard for it. So I think that's one of the big places that I'm looking to see uh, where it comes from. And when I mentioned blockchain, that's why. I don't have a good handle on I can tell you you'll see this in three years versus five or ten um, but the technology is about right for us to be able to utilize that we still have some security issues within that um, but it's still very immature technology uh, and definitely has gone through it's over hype period but I think it'll be like the internet itself um, people laugh when I say I wrote my first internet application in 1988 (laughs) they didn't know the internet existed back then (laughs) but I also had to take a phone and plug it into the modem (laughs) Uh, um, and most folks wouldn't have thought much of the internet back then Um, but we've seen how it shifted so I'm looking at that as a, a shifting technology for having We're putting the power back into the patient's hands around who gets to see what, when, and where. And then I think we're going to hit another problem is that not everyone will want to know all of that. We really, as humans, tend to like autopilot. And while at first we might resist having a car that won't slam into the car in front of them, eventually they're like, wow, this is really convenient in commuting. I just basically put on cruise control and down the highway we go. And you want to keep me in the lane? That's great too. Um, and that's a paradigm for usage that we've thought about a lot at Ketwell as well in that they want to co-pilot. They don't actually want it that something else has taken full control, but when they need to step away Something else can keep it running okay. And then when they want to step in, uh, once again, we can um, let them have full control.
0: Yeah. Well, this has been so eye-opening talking to you and hearing your thoughts and insights on healthcare innovation. Just thanks so much for joining the podcast today.
1: All right. Thank you, Daniel.
0: Thanks again to Anthony for joining us today. If you're interested in learning more about healthcare technology, Join us at MGMA's annual conference October 13th through 16th in New Orleans. For more information, check out our annual conference blog at mgma.com fuse. To register, visit mgma.com slash bigeasy19. Thanks again for being an MGMA Insider. I'm Daniel Williams.